I haven't been here in a little while, so it's great to see everybody. Thank you, Joe, for having me over here in Simi Valley. I'm just going to move some stuff over. Uh, don't, look who got at you. Don't, don't, I might get crazy over here. Don't have me, don't have me with stuff in my hands. Um, you know, for the high school ministry, I know Joe mentioned the, uh, the Mission Love uh, family groups. So there's actually going to be a, a family group for the high school ministry with the high school champs. So just keep that in mind. That's pretty awesome. On every other Friday, they're going to be getting together and having a great time. I want to thank the high school champs. There's one right there, my man, Jeremy. Um, you know, we're doing Mission Love. So I thought of a, of a story in the Bible that I could share with you about Mission Love. We call it Amor in Spanish. This is going to be English service, though. Sorry to disappoint some of you. But Mission Love, what is it? How do you apply that to your life? How do you, like, right now it's a concept. And we wanted to go from a concept to actual life application. So what I like doing, I like looking at stories in the Bible that I can go, wow, this guy did it. I can do it. So turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Samuel, or you can look on the screen. And I have selected a man in the Bible. His name is Jonathan. He's going to be our target person. He's an amazing man in many respects. But to give you an idea of his story, we've got to kind of, kind of, kind of take, a, take a step back and look at the family he grew up in. Okay. And it was, uh, it's an amazing, amazing story, but yet it's, it's also a heartbreaking story as well. He was a man that was supposed to be the king of Israel, but never was. His uh, father was named Saul. And here's the background to that. Uh, there was an Old Testament prophet named Samuel. And he's standing before all the people of Israel. And the people of Israel are telling Samuel that they no longer want a prophet. They no longer want a judge. They no longer want him. They want a king. And so Samuel is standing in front of the people, stunned. He is the 14th Old Testament judge, and his sons are corrupt. Samuel's sons are corrupt, and so they, can, they cannot be the judge. So the people say, hey, everybody else has got a king. Give us a king. And so the one request, 350 years of judges, comes to a screeching halt. And so Samuel is there, and the people tell him this. So the elders of the Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah, and they said to him, You are old. That hurts when you're 46. <laughs> and your sons are not following your ways. Do you have to rub it in? His sons aren't faithful. Do we have to mention that? Now, appoint a king for, to lead us, such as all the other nations have. Now, Samuel, rightly so, says, if you want a king, you don't know what you're asking for. Right now, God was their king. He's saying, we want an earthly king. And Samuel goes, are you sure you want an earthly king? Because they will draft your men, your sons, into his army. They will take your daughters and make them bakers and perfume makers and use them. They will take your land. They will tax you under penalty. Do they really want a king? And they said yes. So, this is what they wanted. 
God tells Samuel, give them what they want. I'm going to tell you who will appoint for the next king of Israel. And the next, or the first king of Israel, is the first family of Israel, and that's the family that Jonathan grows up in. So to get a picture of Jonathan's background, you have to look at his dad a little bit. And his dad is some guy named Saul. And when Saul was a young man, he grew up not a king. He actually didn't become king until he was 30. He actually grew up, he was in the farming business. And they had a lot of donkeys. And one of his donkeys got lost, and his dad says, Saul, go find the donkeys. So when Saul, the donkey hunter, is out finding the donkeys, he runs into Samuel. And Samuel is told by God ahead of time, this is the next king of Israel. And so he tells Saul, and anoints Saul, so you will be the next king of Israel. And so you think Saul would be excited about that. Saul goes back home after meeting, you know, after finding the donkeys, going back home to his dad. You think a man like that would be excited. You tell a 29-year-old you're going to be the king of Israel. And guess what Saul does? He says nothing. He keeps it a secret. And then Samuel finally goes down to make the, make the public declaration that there's a new king. You ask for one, we have one. His name is Saul. Where is he? And Saul's not in the room. Saul's hiding in the luggage rack. He's hiding. Literally hiding. He's the king and he's hiding. You know, tall, Saul is described as tall, dark, and handsome. He's the perfect choice from a physical perspective. But he was weak in character. He was deeply insecure. He was weak below the surface. And it didn't take long for Samuel's character to come out, or Saul's character to come out when it got really stressful. You see, and sometimes insecure people, we like to hide. You know, sometimes when my mom and dad ask me to come over, I want to hide a little bit. Sometimes I don't want to go over to mom and dad's house. As a 46-year-old, I'm going, do I want to go over there and just be questioned about my life? So my parents call me up and say, son, I need your help with a computer. Can you come over? Mom, mom and I are going to go on vacation to Ecuador, and I want you to book our tickets. So I'm like, that seems safe. Book your tickets, you're going to go? Your mom's going? Yeah, yeah, we're going to go. Okay, okay. When can you come down? I'll come down this, this Friday. So there I am, driving down. Get to the house, things, hey, got, things are looking pretty good. Got a warm greeting. Dad made some eggs. I'm like, it's going to be a good day. You know, you, when you go to my house, that's not usually how you're welcomed. The first thing my mom does is check your eyes. Are you anemic? You know, she starts going crazy. Are you eating enough? Is Karen feeding you enough? What's going on? How are you doing? She starts feeling you. Like, hey, you okay? Yeah, Mom, I'm fine. I'm trying to lose weight, actually. <laughs> so I get to the computer. We start booking the fly. My dad's like, all right, you know, I want to go for three weeks, and then your mom was going to go for two, and we're going to send her back home a little early. And I'm like, that doesn't, and in my mind, I'm going, that doesn't sound like a very good plan. I'm assuming Mom knows this plan. So we get to the room, and I'm, I'm, I'm entering all the information tediously. Birth, date of birth. Okay, dates, 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 dates. And then my mom goes, I'm not staying three weeks. I'm staying two weeks. Dad's like, and then my mom, her, I saw, I literally saw her head go, poof. Oh. And then my mom goes like that. Everything is in Spanish, and everything is super fast. 
And she walks out of the room. I'm not going. I'm not going anywhere. And I'm going like, I was just here to supposed to buy the tickets. <laughs> Mom, come back. And my dad's just standing there. He goes, you know, it's very hard living with your mother. <laughs> That's what he said. I'm like, you've been married 50 years, Dad. You think you have this settled out, you know, three weeks, two weeks, you'd be, you'd be on the same page. Not after 50 years of marriage in that house. So my mom leaves the room angry. And I'm, and I'm faced with a dilemma. I'm angry. I'm hurt. I'm going, I wasted half my day to come down here and do a little mission of love on my family. <laughs> I was like, gah! Forget Joe, forget the church, forget mission love. How do you love the unlovable? I'm just angry, so mad. And that is what I'm talking about. Because you think you're at a concert, you're going to go out there, and mission love, everyone's going to be like, oh, thank you for leveling up on me. They're going to be like, that's what I got. This is my family. It's not even a stranger. This is my flesh and blood. Mission love. So I'm there crushed. I go, Dad, oh, man, I wasted my whole day to come down here. And my dad goes, Mijo, I'm sorry. And I was like, say that again? <laughs> dads don't say that. Especially Ecuadorian dads, they don't say that. And so I said, bye, Mom, I'm going to go home. And my dad goes, wait, fine, let's do two weeks. For my dad to say, go from three to two, big deal. <laughs> it's done, Dad. Thank you, Smeho. And I just left. It's goodbye, Mom. I love you guys. You're awesome. Goodbye. Mission love. Mission love. That's kind of like what Saul's house was like. Yeah. So Jonathan grows up in this chaotic house. It's crazy. And so it doesn't take long. It doesn't take long for Saul's character to come out. And if you're Jonathan, you're thinking, wow, kings die. Kings get assassinated. Kings can get sick. And, you know, so the, the idea of him becoming king is actually very real. Like, he could really become king. And so what happens is that in two years into Saul's reign, there, there's, a, there's a neighbor by the name of the Philistines. And they're always having, giving Israel trouble. So Saul has an army of 3,000 men. And they have a long history with the Philistines going back to Samson. The judges is always fighting each other. The Philistines want to take over. And, and, and God says, don't worry, Saul. I will give them into your hands. You will defeat them. Don't you worry. We're going we're gonna to win. And so we come to this passage and this conflict, and Jonathan is a teenager, at, at, at least at the most, he's in his early 20s. And remember, he grew up as a son of a farmer, so he has 1,000 men. So, so Saul chose 3,000 men from Israel, 2,000 were with him at Michmash in the hill country of Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan at Gibeah and Benjamin. So Jonathan had 1,000 men already. He was... He was showing himself to be a responsible person. Now, if you're in the military and you need a thousand people, that's a big deal. 
And so here he saw us 3,000, 1,000 under Jonathan. And, and they're kind of in this, in this, in this saw goes, well, I'm just going to wait to see what happens. Jonathan goes, well, I'm over here. Dad's over there. I'm going to start doing something. So Jonathan raids a Philistine garrison and overtakes it. And it's a victory. It's amazing. It, everyone's happy. We, we, we had our first victory. Because I believe Jonathan understood that the God had given the Philistines into our hands. Let's go get them. But Saul's kind of like, I'm not sure. We should wait. And a lot of us, we're going to be in that position where, well, do I do something? Do I not? I'm not sure. How should I wait? Uh, hey, John is a good example of taking the initiative. He takes the initiative. And Saul's kind of the insecure person going, let's just wait. Maybe something good will happen if we wait. Usually nothing good happens when you wait. Good things happen when you try, to, you try to step into something. So Jonathan does that. It makes the Philistines so angry that a full-scale war now breaks out. They're going, you want some? You want some of us? And so they start preparing for battle. And so the Bible says here that they amassed 3,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and the people were like the sand on the seashore. That is what... Israel army sees. And so, in verse 6, when the Israelites saw that their situation was critical and that the army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves and thickets among the rocks and in the pits. And it says, those aren't the people. That's the army. That's the army. They hid. They saw what the Philistines were going to, they were mobilizing, and they're like, we're going to die. And so they make a run for it. So Saul is left from 3,000 men. He's left with 600. Now, if you're a Bible reader, there was another guy that had 300 men against the Midianites, and that was, that was Gideon. So God likes things in small numbers for some reason, because the battle is his. So there's Saul waiting in mortal fear, and the Philistines are amassing. And part of the story was that Samuel would tell Saul, wait seven days, I'm going to offer the burnt offering to God, and then we're going to go to the Philistines, and we're going to take them out. That was the plan, because God said, I'm going to give them to you. So Saul is waiting for Samuel. And on the seventh day, Saul collapses in fear. Samuel's not here yet. He's like your typical Christian. He's always like 10 minutes late. You know, he's like, he's like, he's like I'm just going to, hey, is the server started? Hey. So the everything's starting. Saul's going crazy. And he goes, you know what? I will like the burnt offering. I will do it. I'll do the welcome. I'll sing the songs. I'll preach the sermon. I'll do it all. No one's here. I'll do it. So Saul does it. And like, like a comic book, when you read the comic book, Saul's like, he's not here. And the next, he starts to light the offering. And the next, the next strip, Samuel walks in. Like a hilarious comic sketch, Samuel walks in and catches Saul lighting the burnt offering. And he's like, what have you done? You've invaded the priesthood. This is against the law. This is against God. You're not authorized to do this. You're the king. I'm the priest. And so he tells Saul, your kingdom will not last. It'll die with you. There will not be a dynasty. Your sons will not be king. 
And Saul is just like perplexed, giving excuses. What? Why? Huh? And he's blame shifting. He's blaming everyone. And so, Saul tries to convince Samuel that nothing is wrong. And all the while, Jonathan is not there. He doesn't hear this proclamation. And so for him, he's still like, hey, I'm still going to get the Philistines. So here's Jonathan. While this is happening, his dad's giving away the kingdom because he's so disobedient. One day, Jonathan, son of Saul, said to his young armor bearer, Come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. So he doesn't know that a curse has come upon his family. He and his armor bearer are going to go attack the Philistines. Now, here was the plan. The Philistines were on, on this cliff. And the plan was in the early morning, we're going to go free climb the cliff. And then we're going to invade that little outpost up there. Now, this cliff is hairy. It's, it's slippery, and it's jaggedy rocks. It kind of reminds me of Hunter Collins and, and, and Quentin Cochran. When you see them climbing stuff, it's like a sheer cliff. They're like, they're like climbers. You know, one time I was here at church, they're on, they're on the roof because they just climbed. They scaled the wall. Imagine that. They're scaling the wall. And that was their plan. And Jonathan's attitude is like God has given us victory. This is ours. Let's go take it. Let's do this. And in verse 6, it reads, Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, let's do this. Let's go, let's go over to the outpost to the uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will, uh, will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving whether by many or whether by few. Jonathan is a fearless man. His faith is firm in God. He understood that the battle and the victory is ours. And so Jonathan puts himself in a position. You know, mission love, that's, gonna, that's our mission. That's, our, that's, not a, that's not a yearly, this is going to do for the year, I'm going to try for six. This is going to be who we are as a church. Mission love. And God has given us the victory. God promises victory. Because you, you, you we just got to be focused on the mission love. Amen. Just like Jonathan was. And sometimes you're going to try to love people that are, that are prickly. That's okay. Mission love is about not just loving those who are lovable. Right. That's kind of easy. Right. Jesus lifts up when you can love those that aren't lovable. He calls them your enemies, you know. <laughs> those kinds. The harder kind. Harder edged. So when the Philistine army began to realize, you know, what was happening, it's early morning, Jonathan and them are just, they're just mowing down people, and there's chaos in the camp. And it's early morning, what's happening, what's going on? And so God sends an earthquake as Jonathan and his arm bearer are fighting. And the Philistines are just freaked out. They're so confused and freaked out, they start like killing each other by accident. And they're killing each other. And then Saul shows up, like, like Commodus in the movie Gladiator. <laughs> Have I missed the battle? Have I missed the battle? The battle's over. It's done. He shows up like, hey, what's going on? I'm the king. But the battle is over. It's over. God gave the victory. And they saw, and Saul saw, 
that the Philistines were killing each other and that God sent this, this earthquake, I can't imagine what he was thinking. Like, why didn't I trust God? Why didn't I? You know, sometimes you do mission love and you're like, why didn't I? Why didn't I? And you have this, why didn't I? This is a good story to go, that's the worst feeling to be like, to live with regret. It's one of the worst feelings. Like, oh, I never shared with them. I never, I never spent time with, well, you don't have to anymore. See, I'm telling you, you, you can just go do it. That way you don't have to be like, feel that regret of going, oh. So my dad calls me the next day. I survive, you know, panic. All right, we're good, we're good. Woo, later. He said, son, thank you for coming over. When he called me, I was, I was like a little worried. I was like, oh, did I make a mistake? You know, they're, you know. Pick the phone up. Usually, usually I had to go to voicemail. Just kind of prepare myself. Because my dad's a man who's, who's very principled. He will tell you what he's thinking. And a lot of times, I don't want to hear what he's thinking. So I pick it up. Hey, what's up, Pop? Hey, just want to say thank you for coming over. Out of all my sons, you are the most patient. Now, the backstory is, two of my brothers live with him. <laughs> and he called me, who lives an hour and a half away, to come do the tickets. Okay, just to give you some insight. I'm sure my brothers tried to do it. I'm sure they tried one after another and said, I'm out, deuce, later. I'm sure they tried. And I didn't realize until then, I'm going, yeah, around Carlos do live there. I wonder what they did. <laughs> That's why I got the call. Now, before this battle and victory happened, Saul was scared. His army had left. And he says, you know what, guys? No one can eat until we win this war. No one will eat. If you eat, you will die. Now, if you're a military commander, your men do not fight well when they're starving. Right. It's one of the keynotes of being a general. You feed your troops, get their bellies full, get them pumped, and go fight. Well, not Saul. So Saul does the opposite. In fact, after this battle took place, it was quite a, it was quite a battle. Jonathan, on the way back, sees some honey because he's starving, grabs it with the staff, and he eats it. He goes, oh, this is so good. This is so good. And some of the guys go, wait, your dad said you can't. Your dad said whoever eats will die. He's like, come on. If my dad would have fed us, we would have won in 30 minutes. And so Jonathan goes to see Saul. And Saul is so upset. He's so insecure. He holds on to his eat. He goes, Jonathan... And he tells him this. Tell him what you've done. I tasted a little honey on my staff. Now I'm going to die. And Saul's like, yes, you're going to die. Saul is determined to hang on to his pride and says, you're a dead man. To his own son. To the one who brought victory. And luckily for Jonathan, the people intervened and said, you can't do that, Saul. And so Saul relents. Saul doesn't do that but it's an intense situation. It goes to show you a little bit about Saul's character 
and the craziness in his life. And the kind of man Jonathan is who grows up in that house. The king is fearful. The king is indecisive. The king is reactionary. He's disobedient. He's reckless. He's proud. He's heavy-handed. And Jonathan is just the opposite. He takes initiative. He shows courage. He's, he acts humbly. He's purposeful. He inspires a, a courage in others like his armor bearer. And the weaknesses of Saul continue to manifest. In his years, he spent 40 years as king. And the contrast, I've got to tell you, between the two men is, is so pronounced. It's so crystallized when a young musician comes into the palace and plays music for Saul, and his name is David. And the reaction of David coming into the palace between Jonathan and Saul is so pronounced. Jonathan goes, this is an awesome guy. And Saul got, Saul's reaction is, he's a threat to my kingdom. You, you can't have mission love when everyone's a threat. You can't have mission love when you're insecure and you're threatened by other people. And so he comes in and David's playing the harp. And David's a little bit of a soldier. And then David kills Goliath. He becomes so famous and Saul becomes so angry and so insecure. He's like, I gotta, gotta figure a way to keep him close. But if he gets too popular, he's a dead man. And so within that palace intrigue, you have the king, you have David, and you have the future king, Jonathan, the prince, living in the same house. And take a look as the Bible describes the relationship after David kills Goliath. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. That's what secure people do. They're not like, well, you killed Goliath. They're not threatened. They're like, that's awesome. We have the same purpose in mind. We have the same, we think the same. Imagine if all of us just thought the same mission love. Imagine. We'd have to blow open those doors. Get more chairs in here. I mean, we struggled genial this morning, but we'll get some more next time. It, it's going to be amazing. Because that's what mission love is. So this Jonathan David, they have this, they strike up this relationship that's just amazing powerful. The Bible in another verse says their, their souls were knit together. Now, mind you, Jonathan's dynasty is cursed. He's not going to become king. And that's his attitude toward David. He's not too sure David's going to be king at this point, but he thinks David's a pretty awesome guy. But Saul thinks of him as a threat. And so Saul becomes suspicious and he wants to murder David. Now, what's interesting is that it's just not a friendship. It gets pretty serious here in the sense of Jonathan's understanding of David. Jonathan comes to the conclusion that he's not going to be the king. David's going to be the king. Jonathan's the man who would not be king. And so Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. And Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and he gave it to David. That's a royal robe. Along with the tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belts. He knew that David had no chance of surviving in the palace 
without a friend. He goes to David and says, look, I'm going to humble myself before you. Now, Jonathan had victories in the garrison. He had victory to climb the cliff. He was a pretty famous guy, too. David was famous, too. Two warriors. Two men. When you get two men together and they're both good at something, usually it's competitive. It's one-upmanship. Oh, you're good? I'll show you. I'm a little bit better. I'll show you. We don't see that in this friendship. That's what astonishes me about this, these two men. We don't see a competitiveness in their friendship. In fact, what we see is love and loyalty to each other. Jonathan knew David needed an ally in the court. And so as Saul goes more and more threatened by David, Jonathan goes, man, my dad wants to kill David. And David doesn't believe it. Nah, your dad doesn't want to kill me. So they have this dinner set up. Him and John have a little plan, a little code. Okay, tell your dad I'm going to skip dinner, and if he gets really mad, he wants to kill me. But if he's not mad, then I'm not going to worry about it. So they have dinner, and then Saul goes, where's David? Oh, he's down in Bethlehem. He's at a, and then Saul gets, what? Where is he? Ah, he gets super angry, and then Jonathan's like, oh, man. My dad wants him dead. It's confirmed. So Jonathan goes to see David. They have a secret little meeting. Boy shoots an arrow. The arrow goes far. You know it's bad news. He goes far. The guy gets the arrow. comes back. And out of the, behind the rock comes David. I said, after the boy had gone, David got up from the south side of the stone and bowed down before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground. They kissed each other and they wept together. But David wept the most. Jonathan said to him, go in peace. We have a sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord. The Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. Then David left and Jonathan went back into town. Everybody now knows that Saul wants David dead. And Saul hunts David for years and years. And so during that time of him being hunted and being on the run, David gets tired and David gets worn down. And David has an extraordinary relationship with his men who he fights with. But man, what a life for him. And here comes Jonathan. He goes and he, help, and he does something amazing. He risks his life. He risks his life to go see David. Jonathan had the awareness that David needs some strengthening. When you see people in your neighborhood just running around, running, you know, you see those people in your neighborhood who are just super busy. It's like, does the guy ever rest? He's got to be exhausted. Jonathan goes, I need to go see David. And he goes there and he helps David find strength in God. Mission love. Mission love. Now, he goes out of his way to find David. When it comes to our mission love, we're going to have to go to our way to be loving. It's not just going to happen. We've got to go sometimes for an hour and a half to mom and papa's house and do a little computer thing. We're going to have to go places, do stuff, encourage people. Don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel, and I'll be second to you. 
even my father Saul knows this. Wow. The character of Jonathan. The willingness to give up your own claim to the throne. Because he understood that God had chosen, John, had chosen David. No jealousy. And that is a rare character trait. Sisters, can I get an amen? amen. <laughs> a man of great, great character. And mission love is going to take your character right. to be great. It's not just a concept. It's not just an idea you come to hear on Sundays. It's what we live for. Let me tell you what makes relationship grows. Love is what makes any relationship grow. Tomorrow I celebrate 18 years with Karen Garces. Da -da -da. <laughs> 18 years. Man, God bless her. What is, what is it about your marriage that makes it grow? I'll tell you right now, it's not who's right. Because Karen's usually always right, you know. It's, that's not hard in our household, right? But it takes love. Love is what makes relationships grow. I'll tell you what doesn't, self-righteousness. I'll tell you what, judgmental attitudes. They crush relationships. They devastate them. To the bone. There's nothing left. But love. Love, man. Love's amazing. I'm going to take it later on to go watch some horses run around on a track. Right. No, it's not the horse races. It's some little tent in Camarilla we're going to go to. But Karen wants to go see it. And I'm on a mission of love and mercy. <laughs> and I'm going to sit there and I'm going to, those horses are awesome. I never want to own one, but they're fun to watch. And I'll be cheering. I don't know what people do at horse shows. I'm going to be cheering, doing something. I may hold my tea with the pinky up. I don't know what I'll do. I'll do something. Something loving. And we don't, hear, we don't hear anything about Jonathan until chapter 31 of Samuel. And it's heartbreaking because the Philistines had waged war and Saul calls on Jonathan to go meet the Philistines in a battle, and they lose. Jonathan, Jonathan's two brothers are killed. Jonathan dies, and Saul is wounded, and he ends up killing himself. And they lose a battle to the Philistines. And that is just heartbreaking. It shatters David. It crushes David. And he writes him a tribute in 2 Samuel. How the mighty have fallen in battle. Jonathan lies slain on your heights. I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. You were very dear to me. Your love for me was wonderful. Wonderful more than that of a woman. And the brothers are going, wait, slow down here, David. <laughs> How the mighty have fallen. The weapons of war have perished. Let me explain that, guys. He's not demeaning the love that a man has for a woman. That, the Bible exalts that. 
He's not demeaning the love between a husband and a wife. That, that's, a, that's, a, that's an awesome thing. What he's emphasizing here is that Jonathan's love was without physical attraction. It was love without a physical element. It was love without a physical interest. It was love without any physical fulfillment. It was altogether unlike the affection shared between a man and a woman, which is a physical attraction. They had a manly commitment to each other. It was noble. It was selfless. It was a friendship born out of camaraderie and confidence in God. That's what kind of friendship it was. So he's just heartbroken that he lost his friend. They had this commitment. Your kids are going to hang out with my kids. We're going to live. It's going to be amazing. And they had dreams together. And they're shattered because his friend is dead. Man. So years later, David is king. And he remembers the promise he made to Jonathan. And so he goes and he searches. He realizes that Jonathan has a son. And the story about Jonathan's son is that when, his, when, his, when Jonathan died in battle, the, the lady who was taking care of the baby, she panicked because Saul was dead, the kingdom is dead. Well, they thought they're going to come kill Jonathan because he's the next line for the king. Uh, Jonathan's son, he's the next in line. And so she grabs the child, who's about five years old, and she runs and she falls and she drops him. And Jonathan's son, at five years old, breaks his legs. He ends up living his entire life a cripple. Can't walk. Modern medicine just had to deal with it. So years later, David asks, where is the son of Jonathan? And they find him. And his name is Mephibosheth. And he's a little, you know, the house of Saul fell. You're the new house. Usually you kill everybody in that house, and then you, you reign king. That's the standard. That's normal. That's what happens in the Old Testament. So he invites Mephibosheth. says, you will now eat at my table every day for dinner. All the land you lost are now restored to you because of my love for your father. And he restores Mephibosheth's land and he has people work his land for him because he's crippled. And he eats at the king's table for the rest of his days. Man, mission love. It's awesome. When you're, when you're the recipient of mission love, you feel so fired up. Remember when it was windy here in, the, in, in uh, Simi Valley? My basketball court kept falling over. Boom, boom, boom. My neighbors, I don't know who it was, my neighbors grabbed it, gently set it aside in my driveway, laid it down, put everything there. I drove in and I'm going, because I knew it would fall down, it keeps falling down. And I showed them, I'm going like, who, who did this? Who showed love? I'm like, look at the gentleness. Look at the compassion they had for my son's basketball court. <laughs> who? And I stood on my front lawn, who? I didn't do that really, but I was like, who? Who? I wanted to know who was loving, who was kind, who was, took their time, who did it. No one told me. I don't know who did it, but I know what it feels like. And I'll tell you, it's, it's an unforgettable feeling when you feel loved. It's unforgettable. That's what we need as a church, and that's what the world needs from us. So let's go out 
and love some people, okay? Thank you. Thank you for your time. Love you guys.